I think originally a senior professional staff role was really about good process, good bureaucracy, cost control, setting budgets, a good sound budget management, which sound a bit dull really, don't they? But I think was really the kind of bread and butter of those senior roles back then. It's now very, very different. And I think the role of a chief operating officer or, or similar is much more around the commercial aspects of the university doing business. Hello, and welcome to KPMG's Talking Tertiary podcast, where we reimagine tertiary education for a changing world. I'm Stephen Parker. KPMG's education sector leader in Australia. This episode is the first in an intended series, a mini-series really, on chief operating officers in tertiary institutions today. Now, I realise this might not immediately set your pulse racing, but arguably disruption and transformation are taking place around the way institutions actually operate rather than necessarily in teaching and research. I'm interested in the role of the modern COO and how it's evolved this way. And I'm interested in whether the reforms that have taken place in many organizations in the economy are being reflected in our higher and vocational education institutions. My first guest in this COO series was Bruce Lines, Chief Operating Officer at the University of Adelaide. Bruce and I go back quite a long way together, but we still seem to be talking to each other. Amongst his previous roles, he was Vice President Operations at the University of Canberra, during which period there were substantial ventures into outsourcing, a topic I'll come back to. I visited the University of Adelaide in March 2020, week one of semester, and we managed to find a room where the thumping beats of a band outside didn't penetrate. Here's the interview. Bruce Lyons, welcome to Talking Tertiary. Thank you very much, Stephen. It's a privilege to be on the programme. Now, as I remember it, your own personal trajectory stems from student and academic administrative roles, and you were previously an academic registrar. Now you're a chief operating officer. So perhaps to begin, could you tell me a little bit about your journey? Sure, Stephen. So it's probably a non-traditional trajectory, probably, although whether there is actually a traditional trajectory anymore is probably a moot point. But I really started off as a generalist in university administration. So actually back in University of Queensland, I was a policy officer. I was, in fact, a secretary of academic board, which at that time, I think University of Queensland was the largest academic board in the sector, probably at 120 odd members strong. So that was definitely character forming. Must have been Um, an agile decision making body. It it was very agile. Yes, certainly lots of strategizing about how meetings would run. That's for sure. But from there, I moved into a faculty and I had sort of general management manager experience in a faculty, academic administration. Then I moved to Canberra, where I headed up student administration. And that was then a move from there into what was the academic registrar to eventually the vice president role. So it is non-traditional in the sense that really my expertise, if I had any, was in student administration. 
You, you do, Bruce, you do. Um, I'm interested in the evolution of the role of the COO in a university. So maybe my experience is a tad Anglo, but in earlier times there were registrars who handled student admissions, examinations, records, and so on. And there was someone like a bursar who handled the money. How do you think a modern COO's role is now different? Look, I think I've seen the change even over my career. Clearly, there's been a lot of change even in the last 10 years. But I think originally a senior professional staff role was really about good process, good bureaucracy, cost control, setting budgets, a good sound budget management, which sound a bit dull really, don't they? But I think was really the kind of bread and butter of those senior roles back then. It's now very, very different. And I think the role of a chief operating officer or or similar is much more around the commercial aspects of the university doing business. And so certainly I find myself involved in just about every aspect of, of university business, whether it's on the research side, teaching side, but particularly new ventures. And so the extent to which the university requires roles which have some commercial acumen and which are engaged in commercial negotiations of one sort or another have drastically changed. Well, I wonder whether this evolution actually tracks a change in the nature of universities. In the past, they were often budget units rather than business units. Government gave them money for operations, decided how many students they'd have, made capital grants for specific purposes. And the role of the university was to spend it to the last dollar and not to mess it up. And so if there was competition between institutions, it was maybe around the intake qualifications of students, maybe philanthropic fundraising. But Now universities are business units, they're aiming to make a surplus, they're making investment decisions, as I think you were saying, and they're competing in status and so on. So I guess my question is, has the role of the COO evolved in line with the change in the nature of universities? Oh, absolutely. So, you know, there's probably a few points which have really contributed to the change in the nature of the role. And you've already highlighted competition. Clearly, internationalisation and the role of the international student market has also changed that. But I'd say, too, that probably a real pivotal moment was when governments no longer funded capital because all of a sudden universities had to think about how they were raising their own capital, how they were going out into capital markets to raise funds, and then how they were addressing all of the trappings that go along with that around credit ratings, satisfying external parties, etc., in a very different environment. So as the universities have changed, so too is the role. Let me raise outsourcing. I mentioned it at the outset, and you and I at the University of Canberra outsourced various back office functions to an organisation in India, possibly more than I think any university, any that I know of, has outsourced and it had reasonable levels of success. But by and large, other institutions haven't followed suit. And I wonder why that is. Have you reflected on this? Yes, I have quite a bit, actually. Look, I think that over the last several years again, as universities have changed, clearly, too, their approach to professional support um, has changed as well. And so there has been a degree of modernisation that's occurred within professional functions. So you no longer get career professional staff in the same way that you did. There's a lot uh, more turnover and there's probably increased specialisation. And that's all because of fairly logical reasons, I think. 
One is, so if you take a finance function or if you take an HR function, you're no longer relying on people spread all through the organisation, through departments, through faculties, through the centre, to have a little bit of knowledge about something to support people, you know, at elbow, if you like. You're relying on specialists who are largely taking advantage of large corporate systems who need to understand how those systems work, who need to have technical backgrounds in order to complete the business of the university. And so that change has meant high degrees of centralisation, yep, high degrees of specialisation. Mm-hmm. And universities have done that to varying extents now, you know, right across the sector. And I think with a varying amount of success. What universities haven't done as well, though, is think about how they really, really reduce their back office costs and how they do that in a collaborative or shared service type environment. So universities have found it palatable to create shared service functions within the organisation. But across the sector, we've failed or we've struggled to do that across organisations in the same way as, say, banking or some other sectors have done. And I think that there's various reasons for that. One is that there's something about the cultural makeup of universities which means that they struggle with it. And if you look at universities' approach to assets, for example, owning campuses, there's a mindset there that control, having control of assets is mandatory to be a university in a way that a private provider would never think. Um, So a private provider would be trying to get real estate at the cheapest possible rate, would be uh, renting in order to maximise profit and certainly wouldn't be sinking large amounts of capital into refurbishment and improved asset life and other things. So they'd be maximising profit. That kind of mindset's just never seeped through into universities, at least in Australia. And I think that there's something similar then in the way that we've approached professional staff support. We've just not been able to get our heads around it as a sector, the notion that we might not have direct control over our own own marketing or direct control over our own HR department even though those things could be accessed very readily from a shared service, from an external organisation here in India, the US, wherever it might be. And in addition, I think you did touch on this, there's not a great deal of sharing between universities. So they could be sharing common platforms and sharing the investment and the risk, but there are maybe some exceptions, but by and large, it's a go-it-alone kind of approach. Yep. No, it is. So, I mean, there are some exceptions to that. So I think in procurement, there's been a few positive steps in that way. So the procurement hub, you know, has had quite a strong membership over a period of time. It's being reviewed at the moment and some of the value, I think, is being questioned right now. But certainly there's been good steps around procurement. That's probably less threatening than around accessing human resources. Okay. Well, uh, I mean, the outsourcing episode might turn out to have been a moment in organisational history because we've got automation coming in different forms. We've got robotic process automation. We've got machine learning and no one really knows where that's all going to go. So looking ahead, does a university really need many administrators? Mm -hmm. I think it's a great question and I'm sure that we will always find many good things for people to do who are on our payroll. We seem to find no end of good things to do to support our missions. But look, I I think it's a, a good question. Coming back to outsourcing though, I think you're right. Certainly the wisdom over the last couple of years has been, well, look, outsourcing is a bit passe. The kind of labour arbitrage advantages that you're getting from going to places like India or elsewhere are over and plus automation is going to overtake all of that. 
the only problem with that line of thinking is that universities are notoriously slow adopters of these kinds of technologies in ways that really drive down costs. And so it could well be that machine learning, automation of other types does end up replacing a lot of roles and we end up reducing costs. But to be perfectly honest, I can't see it. So there are instances of good projects that have been implemented. There's examples that we can all point to in our institutions where robots have taken over and are running a process. By and large, there are very few savings that have been achieved and it certainly hasn't led to wholesale change in support structures, at least at this point in time. And I can't see it on the horizon anytime soon. In saying that, I'm not suggesting that that's not possible or not warranted. Mm-hmm. I'm just saying that I can't see it in terms of the discussions that are going on across the sector as that being a high priority. So for what it's worth, my own personal view is that there is actually a requirement for a step change, that there is, I think, an opportunity for a paradigm shift, but whether there's actually the management will and the wherewithal across the sector to really grasp the nettle on this one is an interesting point. Well, I don't claim expertise in this, but I have, especially in my now role, become acquainted with other sectors in the economy, sectors that have been through real disruption. And I'm not sure that they willingly or voluntarily brought all of this down on themselves, but the market forced it, digital economies um, forced it and so on. So is it possible that something will happen, some disruptive event, maybe a government coming in and saying, we're going to cut university funding significantly, or something that really perturbs the international student market, whatever it is, that would actually force this kind of innovation in universities? Yeah, look, um, obviously it's, you know, very possible. The only thing I'd say, though, in addition to that, is that while uh, some kind of, you know, market force change, some kind of major business disruption could end up being the burning platform, we're still waiting for it. So, you know, we've been talking about the way that online education is going to disrupt the sector. We've been talking about, you know, a number of things on the horizon which might be that disruptive force, but to date it hasn't actually manifest. So online education Clearly, there's incremental take-up, there's incremental change associated with it, but it hasn't led to a change in kind of threshold factors for new entrants in the market. It hasn't really changed the way that brand equity works in the sector. It hasn't really changed the way that, you know, dominant players use their brand equity. So until that happens, I'm not sure that that burning platform is going to be there. The other thing about that too is that I think there's something about the makeup of the sector in Australia which make it very hard. So probably the more vulnerable of our institutions tend to be in electorates where politicians have very strong vested interests in the continuation of those universities in their current form. And so letting market forces play with then the ultimate you know, result being changes in cost structure, really serious looks at outsourcing or automation or other things seem to have kind of natural checks and balances anyway. Well, Bruce, on that cynical note, I'll draw things to a close, but if I'm still podcasting in a decade's time, I shall seek you out and we'll see whether disruptive events really have occurred. But for now, thank you for talking tertiary. It's been a pleasure. That was my discussion with Bruce Lyons, the Chief Operating Officer of the University of Adelaide in March 2020, the first in my mini-series of discussions with Chief Operating Officers and the equivalent roles. 
You can listen to other episodes in seasons one and two on our website, kpmg.com slash au slash Talking Tertiary, or wherever you find your podcasts. Thanks for listening, and I'll speak with you next time on Talking Tertiary.